Today's episode comes to you from Hyde Park, Vermont, where we meet with Ryan Demarest and Jenica Brettenbach. They run two businesses off their farm of less than three acres. Ryan runs Naked Acre Farm, and Jenica runs a gardening service called Homefront Gardens. Together, we sat down as they shared their winding paths into agriculture. They share the challenges they faced finding access to land and why they decided to settle here in Vermont, all while making the decision to purchase by digging through the snow in the middle of winter to take a look at the soil. Ryan and Jenica share how they bootstrapped their way to build a sustainable farm business, which is now in their 10th year of farming. They open up and share how they navigated some stressful seasons of farming and their plans to maintain the current size of their farm and not expand beyond their intensively managed land that they're working now. This episode contains two parts of the conversation. The first hour and 20 minutes is a sit-down discussion talking about their farm story, and the remaining 40 minutes of the show features a walking tour of the farm, where you can listen to the rain as we walk between the high tunnels and rows of kale. So first of all, thanks thanks for being on the show and thanks for for sharing your story a little bit. Uh, yeah, thanks if we for could, having us. yeah, if, if we could get started, just introduce yourselves and uh, where we're at. Uh, my name is Ryan Demarest. We are at Naked Acre Farm in Hyde Park, Vermont. And I'm Jenica Breitenbeck of partly of Naked Acre Farm, but mostly of Homefront Gardens. Uh, two separate businesses here. So this place is actually called Naked Homefront, I guess. That's <laughs> <exactly> what it is. <laughs> the Naked Homefront. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you could describe your farm or your business in one sentence, what would you say? It's a small-scale, diversified, organic vegetable operation, selling to CSA and restaurants and wholesale. Uh, Homefront Gardens would be, a, I guess, a landscape garden service that's focused on informed plant care and a focus on soil health and therefore plant health. So I guess, Ryan, give a little bit of a background as far as growing acre or you mentioned wholesale. Tell me a little bit about your markets. Mm. Um, So I first started just um, kind of on a half acre and started cold calling restaurants in the area. I was down in Waterbury and, um, I just sort of went into restaurants and said, I have vegetables. Do you use vegetables? Do you want them? And do you want them for me? And um, some of those accounts that I started with, I still have today, um, which is which has been great. Um, so mostly Waterbury, Stowe, um, Morrisville area, uh, a little bit in Hardwick, uh, but for the most part, um, restaurants and uh, small markets like village market and commodities and stuff uh, for retail bags and, and things like that. So uh, a lot of chefs. Are you working with a distributor or straight, straight to those chefs? Straight to the chefs. Yep. Yeah. No, I just, I just me in that yellow box truck every week <laughs> <laughs> used to be a truck it was a Subaru before that. So uh, you started on a half acre. What are you up to now? That uh, probably around between two and two and a half this this year. The last few years it was three, um, and I tr- I tried to scale back a little bit this year for different reasons. Uh, but probably under two and a half or right around there at this point this year. And it's you and you and how big's your crew? 
two people part-time. So this is actually only my fourth year with, with, uh, with a crew. Um, and last year, two people last year, both part-time. I had about, it's, last year was basically me and one full-time equivalent. This year is basically me and maybe 50 hours or so of two people um, coming in, helping mostly with wash pack on wash pack days, but then on work days as well. Um, and then I have uh, one employee who is uh, really great, just phenomenal, natural, never been on a farm, and uh, just loves the work, natural. And uh, they are leaving in mid-August. So <laughs> what a cry a tear <laughs> in August. So, um, yeah, so um, small crew. Are you going to try to find somebody to... Yes. Do you know anybody? <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. no. I'm looking. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have a huge social media presence, um, and I think that that certainly helps with, with finding employees. Um, but, but, you know, just kind of looking in the, in the typical avenues and just trying to, to find somebody to replace, um, replace them when they leave. Yep. Uh, let's just get a little bit of an overview from your business. What types of stuff do you do? Sure. Um, well, Homefront Gardens is, it primarily started out as a, just a gardening service. Um, I had worked at a local plant nursery for nine years prior and with a little overlap with the business. Um, but I eased into, I kind of weaned myself off of working for other people when I started the business officially. And, um, but I have a background in, in architectural design and art. And so working in a spatial environment with gardens has been a really natural fit. Though I never worked in an architecture firm, and I always worked on outside jobs from Cornell plant breeding to organic farm to plant nurseries. So, um, but the, I imagine myself kind of getting into cut flowers and... It just wasn't sustainable because I had some great client gardening clients, but I, I couldn't financially, and I didn't want to give up that aspect of my business to just concentrate on growing cut flowers. So I've just uh, whittled it down to some nursery beds, which I grow crops for my own clients, and then have some edible flowers for local chefs. So it's been a really nice fit. Or the gardening business. It seems unique, the type of business you're doing. I haven't really heard of that as a common thing for a flower business. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very small amounts of revenue that I'm making as far as my overall um, breakdown. But it's I could certainly probably I'm trying to expand probably in the next couple of years with the, with the edible flowers, but um, you know, doing some family growing at this point instead, um, and just trying to keep my many gardens going with the introduction of an employee or two this year. Yeah. So you haven't had a, a crew before now? No, I've had a couple, you know, just spot workers here and there doing big installations. And, um, you know, you need someone for a couple days here and there. Um, but it's really just been me. Um, but I 
got about 30 regular gardens and it's it's a lot of work <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> for one person especially if you're pregnant so <laughs> which is the case this year so um it's been great to have help and and uh yeah things get done a lot faster <laughs> we don't get out much from like you know may to october september yeah so not not many farmers no none of us tend to i mean she yeah her she's very busy as well um no i mean i guess just from a background um like how i got into farming in the, in the first place interested in here. Okay. absolutely yeah cool. what made you decide to be a farmer thank you <laughs> very good question uh so um I was a wilderness guide before this, uh, before I started farming, and don't have any background uh, in in growing at all. We didn't have a garden growing up or anything like that. And uh, my mom is a, she's a, definitely a plant person, but mostly houseplants and things like that. So we didn't have any growing uh, stuff. <coughs> um, but I was uh, a wilderness guide, like month off, month on in the field with at risk youth and. I uh, came to a point, I was living out of my Subaru in Oregon during the time, and I came to a point where I just was, like, exhausted with that type of lifestyle and wanted a little more comfort, like a nice bed. And um, a friend of mine, Mickey, hooked me up with some people that were living on a farm in, in Oregon outside Corvallis, and so I did an apprenticeship uh, when, geez, when I was in my off time. So the apprenticeship was basically, like, May, and then I would be a month in the field. Then it would be like July. So I'd see like snippets of the farm. Um, but I fell in love with it and um, decided to come back after working in wilderness in Colorado for a little bit on my way back uh, to Vermont. And then I did the farmer training program for six months um, and started the business after that. A f- funny thing, I was thinking about this today. I remember when I first met those people at the farm, uh, went over for the first night, she gave me a bowl, and this is a little bit of an embarrassing story. She said, can you go out into the greenhouse and cut a salad? And I walked out to the greenhouse with a bowl and scissors, and I was like, what What do I do? What, <laughs> what? You know, it's really funny thinking about it now. Um, and then three years later, I had a business. <laughs> so it's uh, it was a fast trajectory towards having, and with very little knowledge. So I've, those first three years were super challenging, uh, learning how to, to do it well, um, or even bad, you know, learning how to do it at all. So, so the farm that taught you how to pick a salad, uh, you were only there for a, a season? Not even, like four months. Five months, uh-huh. something like that. Yeah. Um, and different growing, obviously, because it's Oregon. So, like I said, I would see the farm for a month, and then I would have a month off because I would be in okay, the woods, right. in, the, in the wilderness. So, it wasn't really a good, from an educational <laughs> standpoint, it wasn't very, you know, it wasn't a good educational experience. Yeah, you weren't exposed to the trajectory of the season. No, no. You'd plant something, and then you'd get home, and it was already, like, gone and replaced with something else. Like, where'd that thing go that we planted, you know, a month ago? So... What types of things were you doing on the, this wilderness? Um, so actually, I started in Vermont. Um, I don't know if you heard of True North. They're down in Waitsfield. Um, that's originally how I got into it, and I worked for them for a couple of years and then moved out west. 
and um, did it in Oregon and also in Colorado. But it was basically um, wilderness therapy. So kids would come with an assortment of, you know, whatever, if it was psychological issues or substance abuse problems, things like that. And there was a specific kind of just program that they would work through and, and learn. And so wilderness being the backdrop for the, for the whole setting, uh, removing distractions, all that, you know, um, so you can focus on, on the things that you want to change. Interesting. So, yeah. How, I'm always curious about career paths or job opportunities. How, how did you find that? Or what led you into that direction? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've always been interested in outdoors activities, hiking and, you know, things like that and backpacking. And, um, yeah, I think, I think the, the woman that I was with at the time found an ad for true North somewhere. I don't even remember where I was. She's like, Oh, I should check this out. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And so, yeah, it's outdoorsy (laughs) and, you know, um, I was in the, the Peace Corps prior to that, so I was like, I can rough it pretty well, and um, and then I, you know, decided, applied and got the job and started there and then kind of moved out. It was a little more rugged in Oregon. The, the tracks were significantly longer and in way more remote areas, so it was uh, it was super challenging work, and high burnout, and kind of similar to what I'm doing now <laughs> in that respect anyway <laughs> high burnout job so um yeah it was it was super rewarding work and very challenging work and um and I loved it until I hated it so do you think that uh helped helped you personally as much as it helped the people you were working with? I think so. Um, maybe not as much, but there were certain, definitely certain benefits and rewards to being out in the woods and, you know, having super challenging situations with people that obviously did not want to be in the woods, people that had no experience being in the woods and trying to train them. And it was, it was cool because especially in that program in Oregon, you would form essentially a little family for mm-hmm. a month, you know, and you'd be out in the woods on your own, isolated and, you know, dynamics would come up and there'd be hard times and good times. And, um, it was, it was, it was cool. It was, a, it was unique. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So then you got exposed to this farm and you thought this seems kind of interesting. Um, it was essentially the opposite of what I was doing. It was grounded. It was in the soil. <laughs> it was like focused on one specific place. You didn't have to go anywhere <laughs> unless you were obviously delivering, but, um, there were some, the folks, the friends of my friend Mickey, um, they were doing their own situation there and they were growing. So I got to ex- learn from them because they were very different growers than, than um, the person, Harry, who owned the farm, who was a self-proclaimed cosmological farmer farmed by the constellations and was like, he was oh. out there. It was really cool. And so <laughs> to experience a farm from that perspective and then um also the other people that were had their own little greenhouse and uh it was kind of i learned a lot from from all those different types of people and and just fell in love with the work and so i knew that i wanted to try and keep going with it and start something um i didn't know exactly what it was i was with another person at that point (laughs) and uh we were gonna start a, a life together surrounded you know by you know, in a, on a farm situation. And, uh, that didn't work out obviously because 
here we are. And, um, but I did continue with that, that passion of, of starting a farm. So, and the farming training program was absolutely, it was, it was an amazing summer. Uh, I learned so much and it just kind of further instilled the love of, of farming, um, and growing vegetables specifically at work. How would you describe the, that farmer training program? Is it more like a on-farm internship or a, a classroom setting? Like, I know it's not in a classroom. It's on a farm, but... Some of it is in a classroom. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a mix of everything. There's a lot of practical, hands-on experience at the Hort Farm. Also, there's uh, experiences, like, I think there's farm partners. I don't... It's changed pretty dramatically, I think, since I was there. Um, like, um, Half Pint was, was, a, was a farm, and we'd go and do... Uh, you'd work there once a day if, if that was part of your rotation. I think Intervale Community Farm does is still a partner there. So you get experiences at other farms, and then there's the home farm that you would do, and then there were classes, you know, soil education, pest disease management, you know, like um, Vern, I think, taught a class. And um, so, um, yeah, so you have access to all, all those folks as well. Um, I've... I've- heard from several people who have been through that program. Um, <laughs> as I'm working with many young farmers in Vermont, that, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, it was great. Uh, um, so you went through the, the farmer training program and then you decided, oh, okay, now, now I'm going to do my own thing. How did you, how did you get started there? Did you have a backyard to start in or? No, I, um, we found, was that on Craigslist? Uh, yeah, we found somebody who was leasing their land or wanted to have a farming component to uh, the different things that were happening on their property. Um, and so I reached out to them, and we were going to live in Waterbury, this person that I was with, and I was just going to, we were going to live, in, it was in Waterbury, and we were going to live in Waterbury, and I was just going to commute to the farm. But that winter, 2013, uh, we broke up, and so I asked them if I could live on the farm, and that's the, the pop-up camper story. So I bought a pop-up that first year, no water, no electricity, just in the camper, and um, so that's when I started on the half acre, and uh, and then the next year I expanded to an acre, still in the camper, but was able to put an extension cord into the camper, so I had some <laughs> electricity, which was Progress. luxury. Yeah, <laughs> Progress, yep. Um, and then that lease ended and I met somebody who would offer their space um, some very slope more sloped than this land even up I'm in, in Waterbury up the road and so I moved the operation up there and was there for two years um, and that was expanded to about an acre and a half there and then in 2016 we met right but that was your third year of farm aid so your first year at the second yes that's true that's land. true yeah it was the first <laughs> year on that yeah my timeline is messed up <laughs> it seems like ages ago and it's all blurry but um but yeah we met and geez i think two weeks after we met we started looking for property not really <laughs> talking about that we were looking for property but we were looking for property together because uh, i think we were ready we met each other older and you know as we were a little older in life and uh, I remember coming back from that place and driving around, and we stopped and looked at this property, and and uh, 
we kind of both knew what was happening, but weren't really discussing it, talking about it. Um, so it was a fast trajectory for us <laughs> as, as well, I would say. Um, and I guess I could just launch into the, the Denny story, I guess. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we were looking. We found a spot in Johnson, and it was a 60-acre farm, and there was a guy who... So there was a piece of property that we were looking at. It was flat. You know, it was about 50 acres of woods, 10 open acres of just flat. You know, it was great. Flattish. Flatter than here. Flat for Vermont. <laughs> it was flatter <laughs> than here, for sure. <laughs> it was definitely. Uh, and so, but it was it was very overpriced. It was, a, um, we thought it was anyway. Uh, well, it was out of our price range anyway. So I remember we, uh, what did we do? We... Decided he was kind of an old school Vermonter. So we ended up running into somebody that knew him in the supermarket. And she gave us the advice of, of giving him a bottle of Crown Royal uh, and like asking him very nicely with an offer. And so I remember we were parked on the road and we wrote this handwritten card and, you know, this is our offer. I hope you can respect it. We want to like, you know, stay on the land and keep it in, you know, in agriculture and production and, and uh, we gave him the bottle and, and the handwritten card, and I don't think we ever even heard back, did we? No, we didn't. We didn't give it straight to him because no, he we wasn't didn't. around. Yeah. Um, when we dropped by his office, but um, but that's okay. It's in maple production now, which is yes, it's still in maple production. Is perfectly fine that it is. Yeah. We like to think of him, well, not like to, but we imagine him just kind of laughing at us and laughing at the offer because it was like less than half of what he wanted. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but then anyway, three days later, um, I was still farming in Waterbury. She was living in Morrisville with her business. And um, three days later, a the realtor for that property contacted us and said there's this this piece of property for sale that just came on the market and it was it had been in the market for three days and it was in february that was in yeah. february remember and there was snow on the ground and she called me at like three o'clock in the afternoon and was like hey you want to come look at this piece of property and so i got a shovel and we <laughs> walked into the woods there was no driveway here or anything so you had to walk through the woods to get in here um and we kind of dug the snow up and dug in the soil and and checked out the soil and it was just beautiful. We were like, oh, this is awesome. This yeah. looks so good. It was quite something because um, you kind of had to descend from the far corner of the field. And it was it was kind of a mild winter. So it was a little misty, but it was all snow covered. And we kept digging hole after hole. Yeah. And seeing this like really chocolatey brown, yeah, like beautiful, beautiful soil. soil. And we're like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> this is... Yeah, That's a I remember, good sign. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. And we went back and did a web soil survey, and it's like, you know, the meadow here, you kind of saw, you know, it's surrounded by woods. It's like kind of like a kidney bean sort of shape. It's like prime ag soil that follows the tree line. It's like this pocket mm. of, of prime ag soil. And so we put an offer, and we, yeah, cause the, I mean, the soil was prime. The soil looked beautiful, and we put an offer in in February. Um, and... Yeah, and what was interesting is we didn't know about contingencies and realty <laughs> offers, yeah. and our realtor taught us that we can just say, hey, we we got to see what the soil test results are. Right. And then, um, but we would like to 
put an offer in. And yeah, contingent on that. Yeah, the actual, the former owners who were selling it were, um, started asking some questions like, oh, they have a tiny house, because I had built the tiny house before I met Ryan, um, thinking it was my best option to buy something for myself so I could start my little gardening nursery business. And um, and so they started asking questions, and we just requested to meet these the owners. And we brought a pie to that meeting in our business plans, and that made all the difference. Um, and it, it kind of began our relationship, which we still have with the former owners, which is really incredible. Um, we usually have an annual visit with them. So it's a special thing. Are are they still close by? Uh, Jericho. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and I mean, they did, they had some small ag stuff that did. She, she told us stories of, um, they used to hay this field uh, with a Buick. And so there's a big <laughs> apple tree over here, yeah. And she said that they would have the rake and they would like back the Buick up into the rake, into the tree, so it would like slam into the Buick. And then they would drive it around the field. And, and I, I don't know, I still am trying to picture it, but they would. that's how they would hay the field around here. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, back in the late 70s, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so... She really took a liking to us because we wanted to continue this process of, of having, um, you know, agriculture here on the property. Um, and so, I mean, the process, the, we had a USDA loan and uh, that was months and months and months. So it took, it took a lot longer than typical closing would on the property. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she was really patient with us. And um, it was, it was, yeah, very, it was, just, I felt like it was a very special connection to have with this person and in our search for land. And uh, like, like Jenica said, it continues to this day. And she's popped in a couple times this summer just to say hi. And, you know, she's, she's great. So, um, but that's all roundabout way of, of how we got here. Um, so what year was that that you ended up purchasing this property? That was in late July of 2017. Oh, okay. And then we were able to move the tiny house here in early December, like right before a massive snowstorm. <laughs> so we got here just in the nick of time. Yeah. Yeah, because we were building, we were staying at, um, down the road at a, a friend's house, and that's where she started building the house. And um, so how many years, how many years were you trying to find land? Oh, Six months, four months. Okay. Something so. like quick. To, yeah. Yeah. Together, I would say I had been looking for maybe a year and a half. Um, I used to own something with an ex partner in Jeffersonville, but that was just a very, not with any kind of land at all to it. Um, but it was, you know, once you've owned something, you don't want to rent something. <laughs> you yeah. just want to, you know, to go on your merry way. So to give you an idea of time frame, we met in August, put an offer in in February. Although the first offer at that place in Johnson was in December, I think. And then February. And then we closed in July. So less than a year. We were married within six months. I think from so seven, eight months, yeah. April. April. We met in August, got married in April. So, so you had land, but before you 
we're legally. No, we yeah. legally, that's another whole thing. So <laughs> um, with our USDA loan, there was a more favorable interest rate if we were married. And so uh, we were working with somebody at the office who was pretty matter of fact, straightforward guy. And I remember call, he was told us about the different rates. And, and I said, well, what if we're together? He said, well, it's this rate. And I said, well, what if we're married? He said, well, that would be a better rate. And so I said, can I call you right back? <laughs> and uh, I called Jenica. <laughs> and I was like, Jenica, we have to get married <laughs> today. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, we went down to, uh, you know, the town hall in Morrisville and got our license and got married. And I called the guy back the next day and I said, okay, we're married now. So can we get that interest rate? <laughs> I mean, that's not the most romantic thing. We did have a very romantic ceremony in August. Um, yeah, we got married uh, in April. So a couple of few months after we met. Yep. Six months. But the fun part was that I just happened to know someone who was able to marry legally marry people or officiate weddings. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I, yeah. I texted them, and, and they thought it was a joke at first. They were like, wait, who are you marrying? Because <laughs> I he's someone from uh, Jeffersonville, so kind of from the ski community that I'm part of. And, oh, that's right, yeah. Um, that was at the, we got the tavern. married in the village tavern in <laughs> Jeffersonville, and there half the people at the bar knew, knew me. Didn't yeah, know, Tony was there. Tony didn't know there. Ryan at all. And we're just yeah. like, wow, Jenica just got married. <laughs> Cheers! Great. It was it, great. It was quite celebratory. It, it was, was awesome. Yeah, then he's like, all he wanted in, in uh, payment was a, a shot of Jameson and a Budweiser. So <laughs> Done great. deal. Yeah, it was awesome. That was a really good day. Yeah, that was. That was great. So. No, I was just thinking about, you know, one of the struggles for new new farmers now is just trying to trying to find land, trying to yeah. get access to land. And it sounds like you were able to, to find a good option relatively quickly. Yeah. In your situation, thankfully. Yeah. I think, you know, that story of digging in the snow, I wish that um, you know, we obviously didn't see all the rocks, so that was right. not that was not a great. I mean, the land is is productive, um, and we feel very fortunate. And I I can't even imagine what it would be like now, especially post COVID, when you know prices spiked significantly for land around here, especially. Um, so it seemed to be like really the right, very right timing. So we feel fortunate for that. Yeah. Um, the other thing was we, neither one of us had a ton of savings because I would put it all back into the farm and Jenica put it into the, the house that she was building. Um, so luckily for us, um, the lending that we had was, was great. I mean, we were able to, to finance 90% of the, of the property, essentially. So 95, I think it was. So um, that was very helpful obviously was that a very difficult decision obviously taking on that much debt or was it more of a, a no-brainer because this is the direction you're headed and you need land i mean i'll let you speak to it but for me it was a no-brainer because we didn't really have any other option <laughs> anyway so you know i i knew that um i had encountered all the pitfalls of leasing ag land and um and i Partly I am at fault for that. I, I'm not good at leasing. I don't think, you know, there's things that I want to do and I want to be able to have, you know, free reign on the land. And so um, so I think leasing was getting tiring and it, it was, I think it was just the best option that we had. 
Um, and it wasn't, I mean, it's expensive, but it wasn't like, there was nothing here. So it wasn't like there was a house here that we were also paying in the mortgage. It was raw land with no driveway, no water, no electric, nothing. Like we, the first few, I don't even know how long, how long was it that we were, we were just driving through the woods to get into the property. <laughs> <laughs> there was like an old logging road that we were just, we obviously made it better by driving down, but it was like really challenging even just getting in here when we first got here, you know, and then I was in farming in Waterbury, living in Morrisville, getting this place set up too. It was, that first year was pretty crazy. Yeah. So let's see, Waterbury is about an hour. No, like half hour. Oh yeah. Right. This side of the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. But still there's, there's a commute between living and working and yeah. yeah, I mean, Setting you forget, land. forget to close the greenhouse door or open it or, you know, that's that's always stressful. It was stressful that year for doing that. But, um, but yeah, and then we just kind of slowly built it up here and got electric in here. I remember those first couple years, or at least the first year, the whole farm was run on four outlets, including the house. <laughs> so Tied to the grid? cut that out? <laughs> no, yeah, tied yeah. to the grid. Yeah. yeah, we brought it down... Um, and yeah, that was just off a temporary uh, electrical drop. Yeah, drop. Yep. Yeah, essentially. Yep. And uh, we we only had a partially made driveway by hunting season, and then it dumped. We we did get the tiny house down here somehow. It was a miracle, I think. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and. The next day, I think it snowed about a foot of snow, and we're like, okay, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've got yeah. no water, but we do have um, electric, which was great. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have water for a little while. But Were you just hauling it in? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What, so. what was your source? Where were you getting it? From the, our friend's house. The well yeah. where we were living. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we got some maple totes, and I would just go and fill it up and bring it here. And we had this, like, pump, like, shallow well pump situation that I set up and worked for watering the, the seedlings in the spring. Uh, the seedlings were treated way better than the growers, I would say, that first spring. <laughs> uh, yeah. But then we were like... we what's wrong with us? We got to just get a well. <laughs> we did. So, yeah, we were, luckily that the well was able to be, there was some clause or some part of our mortgage um, that we were able to wrap it into our mortgage. Um, mm. So we didn't have to, you know, pay for it right up front, which was great. Yeah, so that's good. We'll pay for it for 30 years. It, I right. Guess, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's probably like, you know, will cost three times what it was by the end or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll pay more for it in the long run, but <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, you didn't need to front that. Yeah. yeah. Jenica, give me a little bit about how you got into the ag space. You know, I think it, it probably started back over a summer job. I, I happened to go to school in Geneva, New York, which, of course, there's a wonderful experimental station there um, with the New York State Ag extension um and i wish i had been more involved back then because i would have really loved to check out all the apple trees there um but i had friends down at cornell which was only an hour drive and ended up living down in in ithaca for a summer and i worked at cornell plant breeding and with the alfalfa program 
and got to see some long-term just uh, plant breeding in the old-fashioned way. There was one professor who was retired, but he had been working from a post-grad student in 1948 to what that would have been 2000 or something so I mean that was really cool to think about that longevity and and vision um and it and it started to kind of push me in that direction a little bit more the following year I worked at a um blue heron farm in Lodi New York kind of halfway between Geneva and Ithaca and um that was like 12 acre production with permanent beds and I still reference things that I learned there from Lou and Robin. And um, so that, and that was the real first thought that I had, oh, seasonal life, what is this? Like, I don't have to become an architect just because I'm studying this right now. Um, And, uh, but I, after, after college, I did end up working in nonprofit housing for a couple of years with, as an AmeriCorps VISTA, and then as a, um, uh, in the Hudson River Valley, and I happened to date someone who was involved in uh, small organic farming, diversified farming. So um, there was always this kind of connection to food and and where it's coming from. And I I don't think I knew very much really back then, but uh, there was definitely this thread starting. Um, and I guess I moved to Vermont in two thousand eight after working with Habitat Newberg for a couple of years. And then um, I just started random jobs such as waitressing. And then when that ended, I moved to a local nursery in Morrisville. And it was a good fit. I had lots of time for recreating and <laughs> uh, doing other, you know, just adventuring. Um, but it was, it was, uh, definitely really insightful to just work for people who had been in business maybe 30 years or so when I worked for them. So they had some solid systems down, and they had very specific methods that they used um, in management styles. So I feel like I learned just a lot about running a business, even if it was maybe what I wouldn't want to do or things that I would try to commit towards in a different way I had a huge I met so many people working at that nursery that um, it's probably where I met maybe one of my first or yeah a first couple clients who just you know really were like well do you do any work and that was like the beginning of some just side work and that gradually led me to thinking about, well, maybe it's it's time for me to, you know, cut the cord and go out on my own and um, just go for it. And But I had another, you know, the side vision of growing heirloom bulbs and um, a lot of the nursery owners in the area were of an age where they'd be retiring soon. So I thought, oh, maybe I could run a nursery a lot of thoughts going around but nothing too solid but the gardening once I started working with that I loved the kind of the digging into soil health and the really focusing on ecological 
you know, base design, which is where I would say my niche is, um, not just trying to, I'm not a mulch tosser, you know, just to get it done and be done with it and move on. Um, there's plenty of people out there doing that kind of work. Um, and really looking at long-term relationships with the landscape, the people who are living or working with the spaces and, and going from there. Interesting. So are the gardens that you manage edible gardens or perennial kind of hands-off just maintenance gardens or gardens where you're, you know, putting in a bunch of annual things too? Yeah, I would say it's a mix. There's, I feel like there's a growing number of clients who really enjoy that edible landscape and um, I'd say 20, maybe 20% of my folks really like getting in their gardens and working. Maybe they, a a bunch of them just focus on their veggies and stuff. But, um, so I might offer a little bit of advice in that realm once in a while or to kind of set it up for them. And yeah, sometimes, and some people are just, they've been doing it for decades. So they're on a roll and we like to, we'll talk shop a little bit, but, uh, then, and then when I mention Ryan's, hundreds and hundreds of tomatoes that get a kick out of that. So, um, but yeah, mostly I'm doing the ornamental side of it. Um, but there, you know, I try to encourage people to include edible landscaping. So whether that's, you know, throwing some extra starts in the garden somewhere or just having and pollinators and bird health and all, it's really just about the, ecosystem creation and trying to get it rolling to a place where I'm not running around watering and almost no one really waters their gardens even if we haven't had rain for weeks on end Um, so I've seen really good success with with some of my practices of just it's kind of like no-till farming in a way it's just uh, but you know using the actual cuttings off the the deadheading I'll just stick right back in the ground, let it decompose. And I've seen um, some amazing results over the last number of years at places I've been for, you know, seven or eight years now. So, yeah. Residential, commercial, both? Both, yeah. yeah. What fulfills you in this career? Hmm. Probably, I would say, certainly the visual accomplishment, like seeing beautiful spaces take shape. And having my clients really appreciate them is really wonderful. And I just, I like talking to my clients too and getting to know them. I think there's, having that community is really important and those connections. Um, I think that's probably one of the most fulfilling, knowing the satisfaction that people get out of those spaces. Even even some of the commercial ones, you know, um, I've got one restaurant and people know me from that garden and uh you know really enjoy the space that's been created there um or I'll throw tomato plants in at a you know at a business and then people can you know the workers can just be like oh I'm gonna take some tomatoes home today and that's that's great it's just connects you know gets people more interactive in these spaces that are normally just a backdrop which I really like uh, Ryan, what fulfills you? Um, 
I guess I would say first and foremost, the, the work itself, um, kind of that feeling at the end of a really long, hard day or a long, hard week, which, um, you know, they all are, (laughs) um, yeah, it's really satisfying. I think the relationships too. some of the people that I've met and come into contact, you know, and, and chefs and, you know, people that I've worked with other farmers and, um, yeah, all, all the different people. And I think just eating, eating really good, delicious food is, you know, that's super fulfilling. And, and, and seeing that, seeing, you know, really good food come out of the field, um, you know, and, and starting from a seed and then having this beautiful plant that you can eat is very fulfilling. Uh, do you, do you get to eat your crops a lot? I know a lot of farmers who, you know, grow this great organic veg and, and they're eating mac and cheese for lunch. Uh, we eat tons of mac and cheese. I'd say it's more <laughs> frozen, frozen pizza, lots yeah, of frozen okay. pizza, Chinese food. Every once in a while, but uh, yeah, no, we we do like lots of salads and stuff. And when the tomatoes come in, um, I'll eat tomatoes. But uh, this quick and easy stuff, you know, right. stuff you can throw on a plate, yeah, right? Or steam really quickly, or something like that. But but before having you on the show, you mentioned that you've now been farming for ten years, which mm-hmm. uh, to me is an indicator of a success or. Uh, being sustainable, <laughs> uh, you know, because if, if it wasn't working 10 years in, <laughs> you're, you're not going to keep doing it. Like you, yeah. th- you, unless you have some outside funding and this is just a fun hobby, yeah. uh, as sustainable. So what does sustainable mean to you? And, and what's the time that you felt really successful in this? Um, well, I think every year is in the different iterations of, of, my business has seen some growth. Um, yeah, financially and obviously just in, in the land itself and plant health. And it feels like there's always been just small or large improvements over, over the years. And I think overall this year, I remember I, I had the, um, I had the fortune and pleasure to work with Richard Wiswall a little bit. It was it last year, two years ago. Um, and it was, it was just great. And I remember him saying, uh, something about year 10, you know, like it just, there's a shift and, and I'm, I am feeling that this year. And I think so far this year, I feel, um, just with the relationships that I've created since the beginning and they feel really solid. Um, and a lot of the, kind of thinking about moving in different directions with soil health and the plant health is really good. I just feel really good this year. Um, and it's taken me 10 years to really, uh, think, Oh, okay. I might actually be good at this. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's taken that long to, to really feel successful in certain ways, you know, and it's still hard to sometimes like, you know, walking around and seeing the tomatoes the way they were, there's some that aren't strung up or there's pieces of grass, you know, that's, that's hard, but it's not as hard as it used to be. Um, cause it just is what it is here, I guess. I've, I've interviewed several people that have said <laughs> between years seven and 10, they really start to feel like they will say have a grasp or, you know, the, the yeah. flywheel is spinning. Yeah. 
do you think that's the repetition of the season? Do you think it's the incremental growth in infrastructure, your own knowledge? I mean, all the above, right? Yeah, I think so. I was thinking about that this year, actually. It's like, because I have experienced significant stress over the years. I mean, we all have, every, every grower. Uh, but a lot of the stress I feel like I've experienced has been my own just thoughts and my own, you know, interpersonal stuff and was often completely unnecessary. Um, but I think, so I was thinking about your, basically your question. I think what it is this year is it's like predictability. It's like, oh yeah, I know those weeds are going to come during this month or this pest is going to show up now. And it's like, whether I'm prepared for it or not, like I know it's going to happen. And so there isn't, there isn't as much surprise, like, you know, holy crap, what is this thing that's mowing down all the arugula? It's like, oh, well, you didn't cover it, idiot. So, like, before, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, there's just predictability, I think, which is super helpful in feeling successful. I think, too, there might be a level of um, confidence in decision-making, like making these some bigger long-term uh, shifts that will get you to a place where you're really confident with the, like, or feel like you're just making a decision about your business, but not basing it off of what um, a particular market might think or, yeah. do, you know, react to. Mm. Um, yeah. And I can see that as in, you know, a th- kind of a third person to your, your business. Oh, it's yeah. more of an educated guess and less of a a little less of a gamble because yeah you've mm-hmm. kind of seen success and failure for like you said through the seasons yeah you know the other thing was that I think the reason why I took too long too is because um, I'm becoming more and more familiar with this specific location we've been here five years now but I've been at three locations and so all those years of, of familiarity and understanding the 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 nuances of a of a field or of a farm. I've had to start over several times. And so I think just now having this relationship and bond with the soil here and the way that things work and the, you know, the seasonal changes, uh, that's really helpful too. And making decisions and, and just feeling confident. Yeah. That, that's a good point. Knowing, knowing the land, Yeah, you know, knowing where water's going to run yeah, in the next heavy rain and, and knowing where it's, it's cool in the spring, you know, those little pockets or mm-hmm. where the sun comes around. Oh, that bed's going to be shadowed a little longer. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't know that stuff right off the bat. No, no. And it's just a relationship. It's just about creating, you know, it's, it's a marriage essentially. And you're learning and growing with this, with this place. Yeah. You mentioned early on that the, the farm in Oregon, was was different like growing out there was different mm. what, what's a couple of like just high level things that's different than growing in vermont uh the climate first and foremost i mean that area in the willamette valley gets like nine months of drizzle essentially like cloudy drizzle and, and rain you know and then it's all summer long you never see a cloud it's just like i mean there might be clouds but it's sunny every day mm. super dry hot cold nights um and then just rain all winter. So it's, it's wild. So obviously that, but you can grow year round significantly easier, even without the, the direct sunlight you can continue. You can decline even in the winter. I think the lows are like in the Willamette Valley, like the thirties, you know, and you don't see much snow. Um, so that's a big difference when it's negative 25. So <laughs> a, a little more consistent. Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah. Consistent drizzle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was bad. <laughs> it was great. I mean, you just, you keep going through it. You just live your life. You ride your bike to work and you know, you just get good rain suit and uh, that's right. what you do. Dress for the weather. Yeah. Uh, so what made you decide to come, to come to Vermont and settle here? Um, well, I think the, probably the most important thing is my family. I'm really close with my family and, um, I wouldn't necessarily, I, I love you guys, but, <laughs> uh, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to live in my hometown. And so Vermont's kind of a happy medium. And, um, you know, I, I went to college here and so I have a connection to, to the state and, um, um, it's just, yeah, it's close to being your family. I mean, it was too, it was being out West. It's, it's too far. You yeah. know, my sister started, had a couple kids. And so I had nephews that I wanted to be around and, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. So, yeah. And yeah, just a familiarity with new England. Yep. So I love it here. <laughs> so good. Hmm. Jenica, are you from around here? I'm from Pennsylvania and I just, um, I randomly moved here. My my sister-in-law was working for the Vermont Youth Conservation Corps one summer, kind of right before she and my brother married the year before. And she said, you need a change in life. Um, I think you'd like Vermont. There's people with like, like, you know, old time skills, which is right up my alley and, and doing music and just a bunch of stuff. And she said, why don't you come visit? And I moved up two weeks later. I dropped off some applications. I was like, I'll be a waitress. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, uh, yeah. So I just kind of, it was quite a bold move, but it, it has worked out very well in the end. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we talked about a little bit on kind of feeling successful, getting that flywheel spinning. What's a time when you felt really challenged farming? Um, well, the easy answer is every day, obviously. I mean, there's different things to deal with, but, um, I mean, I think those, I think those first few years were, were super challenging because I, I literally didn't know what I was doing. I had like no, I mean, I had the farmer training program six months under my belt and that's, you know, that's all I had. And so it was, it was really challenging in that respect. But, um, I think 2020 was it, was I, 2021. Yeah. Was just a super challenging year for me. And I don't even know why, because the business was fine. People were happy with the produce and, uh, I just was dealing with a lot of st stress, stress, not sleeping and, uh, just really having some, um, some issues with, you know, mental health. And, um, yeah, that was, I guess that was probably the most challenging time. Wouldn't you say? Probably for you yes, too. Definitely. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I, I I don't even really remember why. Like, I mean, there were, I mean, the th things were weedy, and there was disease and pest issues, and um, I just was uh, too hard on myself, I guess. Um, and it just felt it was just really challenging in the moment. So, um, because 
I guess I just always felt like the business was just going to like close, just stop because there was like grass in one bed or something. You know what I mean? You were, you were hyper-focused. Yeah. 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 And I know, I know the feeling. (laughs) Yeah. You're just, you're so far in the weeds that that, that's all you can think about. And, and you kind of lose sight of the big picture a little bit. Absolutely. Cause, cause you're, you're literally in it. Yeah. How did, how did you handle that stress and, and what changes did you make to, to get out of that slump? Um, you might have to help me a little bit, but, um, I started uh, assuming you're better now. Yeah, I'm much better. <laughs> I am better. I'm still in it. No. Yeah, I'm much better. This has been absolutely so far. Knock on wood. I don't want to jinx myself here, but this has been my absolute favorite year of, of growing for sure. Um, just mentally and just the state of the field. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm very happy this year. Um, I think uh, what I did that time was I started a meditation practice, which I had dabbled in in, in years previous. And um, yoga, I never, I'm not certified teacher. I did a lot of yoga in the past, um, but farming pulled me absolutely away from that. Probably when I needed it the most, I just kind of stopped doing it. Um, so I kind of reinvigorated that practice and tried to drink less. And what else was it? I mean, Breathing exercises, things like that. Reading books. John Kabat-Zinn helped a lot. Um, I don't know. If exercise. You, I was going to say, I don't know if you want to mention Farm First at all, but you did oh, yeah, call I, them. Yeah, I did. That's yeah. great. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I used Farm First, and I ended up having, I only had two phone calls, but they were really helpful uh, phone calls. Um, and then, oh, yeah, and I actually did, uh, therapy. That's right. I had therapy for, <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> oh, that's stupid. I blocked it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yoga and breathing, but yeah. Oh, right. Therapy, therapy. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did too. yeah. Uh, so farm first was like really incredibly helpful, uh, for that. I think I ended up with, it was six or maybe eight sessions or something. And it was all, you know, on zoom or, uh, whatever. And, um, and they were great, super helpful. And, um, as a result, now I'm a, there's a new uh, program. It's the um, peer support program. I'm sure you've heard of it. And they presented at VVBGA. So I'm actually a, a, a peer support person now um, for folks that are maybe in a similar situation that might want to reach out to somebody. So it's, it's a, the program is basically like there's people all over the state that have decided to volunteer their time and there's pictures up on the website and, and basically you contact farm first and they'll uh, reach out to these people and you can talk to somebody else who may have gone through something, another grower or farmer um, and just kind of connect with, with somebody who may have some understanding of, uh, I mean, cause you know what it's like, it's so specific, it's unique. It's, it's hard to, for people to understand what we might be going through in a given moment. Um, so uh, yeah, farm first. <laughs> it's awesome. So, are those sessions just kind of like a, a venting session with another grower? I don't know. It's a new program, so there hasn't oh. been a, it's it's um, there hasn't been a ton of. I haven't. I'm presently working with somebody, but we're finding a hard time to connect. But I imagine it could be whatever the person needs. It can be a venting session. It can be just like a crying session, or it could be like, hey, 
have you ever experienced this? Tell me about your experience. Um, you know, it could be probably whatever that whatever somebody needs. Right. So. I'm just trying to think like farming is stressful. Yep. We all know that. And I think a lot of us don't want to ask for help. Yeah. They they don't want to ask their spouse for help. Mm-hmm. They want to handle it themselves. Yeah. What do you think would be the trigger to reach out? to farm first or or an organization like that and what would one expect when they when they pick up the phone you know i don't know because i think everybody's everybody's different uh for me it was just like i can't handle this anymore like i and and poor jenica i was like she can't handle this anymore um and so it was just like i gotta talk to somebody else um and so it it is you have to be vulnerable you have to kind of let go um, of that trait of being like, I can just get through this by myself. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I think not being able to manage something on your own is, um, is kind of the catalyst, I think. And to answer your other question, I don't, it was, what is it going to be like? Or Yeah. What, what would one expect when, when you pick up the other end of the phone? Yeah. Did you want to say something? First? I was going to say, I think I may have mentioned farm first as maybe that's someone you can reach out to. Yeah. As just a, like we see it a, a always listed. And I think a lot of, I bet I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people, if they, at least if a family member has exposure to what farm first is that, that, that they can just be like, it's still in your hands, but there is this resource out there that, yeah you might be able to get some help from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's just the, the folks that are working there and obviously the peer, the farmers, the peer farmers that are part of the program. Um, just, I think it's empathy would be the first thing and mm-hmm. just, uh, a sort of a connection and a sort of a solidarity, I guess, of, of knowing what somebody might be going through with, with farm related stress specifically. Right. Being, being a peer to peer network that there's, uh, an understanding, yeah. um, that you, that you couldn't share with another family or friend mm-hmm. that doesn't know everything that's going on. They yeah. don't, they don't know the weeds and, and what, what does that weed and or pest mean to you? Like yeah. my buddy isn't going to know that. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, another farmer would. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great. I'm happy to be a part of it. And, um, I just wish I had more time <laughs> for it too. You know, it's a, it's a busy time of year. So is it a, a commitment that you sign up for? Like you, you said you wish you had more time for it. Are you turning down like opportunities? No. Or what do you mean by that? No, just that, um, just there's a finite amount of, of time and energy and, um, yeah. You wish you could help more. Yeah. 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 Um. <laughs> well, I think it's it's the scheduling. It's like it's, you're dealing with two farmers, so it's like, well, that person can reach out at like 5.30 in the morning, but maybe you're not. You're harvesting vegetables at 5.30 yeah. in the morning. I see. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's like a scheduling thing. What are you excited about in your next year of farming? Well, <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. 
like I said before, I feel like I kind of have a grasp on this, um, at least here and what my own limitations are and strengths. And um, I think that's just in time because we are going to have a child in mid-August. I think, um, yeah, next year is going to present its own new, very new challenges. Um, So I kind of feel like I'm happy to have, you know, this a year of confidence under my belt um, to to move into the next year. I think as a result of having a child and starting a new family, I think I'll need to make some changes to the business, um, which I'm still kind of mulling over right now. And, um, you know, just uh, reducing crops or having more people on in the crew, which I, you know, I'm not super psyched about wouldn't not too keen on having more people here um but there might be a, a way to obviously you know um, have a different sort of life so and then i think just as i've become more familiar with the business and knowing how to change things in order to have a little more free time and i think that's that's something i'm looking forward to and continuing to work with soil health and weed management and trying to f- discover ways to have kind of a uh, two prong, uh, you know, attacks or not like that word, but like t- efficiencies to, to deal with both of those things, like maintaining soil health, adding, contributing to soil health, um, and reducing the weeds here on the farm. Um, yeah. And increasing production, um, based on that. So those are some big things I would say. Yeah. Well, yeah. congrats. That's that's definitely exciting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> nervous yeah. excitement. Very yeah. nervous. Yes. Yeah. August, mid-August is not the best time, but it is a time. It's good for my business, which <laughs> is good. It's before I think I'll be able to w- work with my little crew on cutback then and guide that process, um, which yeah. is usually like October-ish. Yeah. So. One of my employees is leaving or i think on the same day the due date <laughs> they're going back to college so things will change things will change very <laughs> drastically and quickly so i better start those breathing exercises again <laughs> i guess <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> gonna take care of yourself Are, is there is there other things that that either of you kind of have implemented on a regular basis to kind of keep you keep you level-headed I, I mean, I had a meditation practice for uh, probably a couple of years, and that has not continued this year. Uh, I find that when I'm feeling good, it's those practices kind of go by the wayside. Right. I feel like a little bit. Um, but mm, I don't know. I guess I've been working with, like, a, not a physical therapist, but a, um, like, a a body worker, like a, just, it's a type of massage. Um, just knowing how my body is changing. And I, in my mind, I'm going to work up until I have a baby, but I'm realizing that's not likely to happen. (laughs) I need to start maternity leave probably sooner than that. Um, but I'm still going strong at this point, but, uh, I think, uh, even I took an art class last fall, just uh, doing something creative and 
that's totally just fun. It was it was really great to have that in the fall time, and I think it offered a lot of re- relaxation and, um, you know, just being creative in a way that I don't have to commodify it. I can just do it for myself, and that was really great. Um, yeah. But I think I think as um, just conversations with other parents, other farm parents, like making sure that we have those times where we can uh, prioritize our own self as as humans in the world. Um, besides just being parents, I think that's going to be that's a priority for us. And so we've been trying to you know, vaguely strategize knowing that we have to meet this new human before we can really know how to, how we're going to need to use that, those alone times and Mm. perhaps someday like a couple time probably. (laughs) Right. But um, I think we'll, you know, that'll all be part of the learning curve of parenthood and as business owners, I think. Yeah. I think this year too, it's it's been a, um, kind of a more consistent schedule or adhering to a, a consistency um, in the schedule. And like we talked about earlier, having, you know, the, the busy week and then being able to have these days, even though we're still working, they're not necessarily days off, but um, just having consistency <clears throat> there um, with, with slower times, I think is, is, is something that has helped um, this year. I think more of a, a to answer your question of like having a thing that we do i guess it's having a consistent (laughs) schedule (laughs) that's something i do do you turn off at a certain time uh depends on the day you got some side eye there (laughs) (laughs) i don't know we still sleep when i sleep i'm sleeping (laughs) so good this year knock on wood there i haven't i haven't slept this good in maybe ever my life you know so Uh, yeah, that's when it's off. We I guess. still eat dinner at like ten o'clock at night usually, yeah. which isn't great. But no, tis the season. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sleep helps a lot. Good sleep is important. Yeah, I think when I've been away, like in years past, if we, you know, we'd go down to like Tuesday night live, uh, which is a thing in Johnson, I wouldn't be able to like detach and have a good time. I would still just be super mm-hmm. focused. And I think this year it's been able. I've been able to like disconnect. So that's helpful. I'd say. Yeah, and being able to just like kind of enjoy the the moment that I'm in. I think that to loop back, I think that probably comes with the experience of of doing this. Like you you know the tomatoes will be okay tonight, yeah. and yeah. they'll make it till tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. First year, it's like they're all gonna die yeah. when it gets dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. What what did you envision your farm would look like when you started? Did did you have a goal <laughs> or a vision with what you wanted it to be? No, not that I can remember. Um, I think it was different because when I first started, I was thinking about the farm with this other person that I had, was with. Um, so um, I think vegetables, um, for the most part, I didn't really ever foresee having animals, you know, or, you know, like livestock animals. Um, yeah, I guess it's kind of this. <laughs> did did you, I, I know initially you went to restaurants and say, I have this available. Did you then ask them what they wanted? 
or has it always been just kind of like, hey, here's some, here's my options? Yes, afterwards, in, in creating those relationships with chefs, like they, you know, I've, I, sit, I sit down with the, some of them every year and they talk about what they want to grow or what they want to have on their menus or when they change their menus to the summer thing, they say, this is, this is what we're going to have. Um, and so initially, yeah, I was like, I like to eat that, so I'm going to grow it. Um, I didn't have any markets at all, uh, which was the exact opposite advice I got from a mentor that mm-hmm. I worked with. They're like, don't grow anything unless you have the market for it. And I did the opposite of that. But, um, but yeah, I was, th- th- I said, you know, I would say, I have arugula. Do you use arugula? Do you want that? Um, so, um, yeah, but then over time I've kind of shifted. I mean, there's things that I didn't even know existed that I grow now consistently because it's, you know, a high-end restaurant uses it as a main ingredient in a salad or something like that, you know. Um, and so I've learned a lot through the experience of those chefs, um, that are, you know, constantly refining and perfectionists and things like that. And there's a, like, think there's like a lot of crossover between growers and, and chefs. And that's why I like working with them so much. Have you found the chefs to be pretty knowledgeable as far as regionally grown food or available crops or have you been like yeah we can't grow that here depends depends (laughs) on the chef for sure um yeah like geez i don't want to throw anybody (laughs) no no okra or oranges coming out of her yeah no 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 one's asked for yeah like uh you know papaya or anything (laughs) like that you know um but i think it's it's sometimes some of the timing Uh um you know, chefs will be like, in April, will be like, you know, they may be like, well, when are the tomatoes going to be ready? You know, and I, I, I don't heat any of the houses for the tomatoes. And it's like, oh, I haven't even planted those yet, <laughs> you know? So um, th- there's that understanding. But a lot, of sh- a lot of chefs that are willing to work with uh, farms in the area are, they understand the, the nuances of season, the short season, and, and what is, what will be available. Um, and I've, there's a few chefs that are coming to mind specifically that, um, I've just really absolutely loved working with and they've just been flexible and, um, they've just helped me have a business. I guess they were willing to take a chance and, um, you know, I still work with them to this day. Yeah. And I think there's, I think some of those, um, more thoughtful chefs are, they're preserving when they can. Um, or making processing, whether that's making different oils that they're going to flavor something with in the fall or winter when it's available in the summer. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really great. Or preserving tomatoes. We know a couple of chefs that do that yeah. um, so that they can have kind of a consistent quality year-round. Um, and that's, that's it's such a great insight to know that folks are doing that. That's um, awesome that, that chefs are taking the initiative to, to preserve yeah. Some of those things. Mm-hmm. What do you think the future of your farm looks like? Do you envision it changing much? Uh, yes, I think so. Um, but, I mean, because obviously you can see we're still absolutely in development stage here of trying to get things up off the ground. And um, as money sort of frees up from some of these pro- main, like, you know, main infrastructure projects, um, yeah, I'd like to, to invest in some different things and different types of technologies. I'd really like to scale back a little bit. I mean, honestly, I would love to just put this whole, that whole field in just one big glass bubble. <laughs> That's what I would love to do. <laughs> just have it like all enclosed. Um, 
but you know the land <laughs> doesn't offer that flatness up here but um i think some markets will change um and i think that what i grow will will shift a little bit over the next few years i think um and i think a lot of the decisions that i make moving forward is going to be determined by this little child that's yeah. coming in august that we you know we it's a total crapshoot you know right right you're yeah your your farm's 100% going to evolve mm-hmm. um but you're not building an orchard or growing grains and you're staying small scale vegetables yeah well the other thing is we're limited by the landscape right. as well. So right. I can't, I couldn't possibly grow more than five acres maybe at the most, unless I start cutting down trees and I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so we are limited in that respect. And, um, I think just getting smaller and more refined is better. Reduce and refine is what I write everywhere. Mm. So, yeah, and I think there's also a component because our property is split by a road. Our road, um, we actually have to put in new utilities on the other side. Yeah, to we be have able a to. So we're basically dry farming on the south side of the property, and then, um, but there is some I think good uh, opportunity on that side for some just fruit trees, and whether they're they're partly going to be probably for aesthetic reasons and separation from the road. Um, but certainly they're all probably fruit trees and things like that, that, you know, if we have a farm stand in the future, that, that could be an opportunity there. Yeah. Um, so long-term thinking, but not really not committed to anything or tied in, you know, certainly not financially tied to anything at this point. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, and I definitely do see a farm stand situation here someday in some form. Yeah. And we talk about doing pigs every year, but we haven't done it yet. But maybe just pigs for us. Right, right. So little homestead hobbies. Yeah. 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 Gotta have those too. Yeah. What advice would you give to your beginning farmer self? <laughs> uh chill the heck out, man. <laughs> <laughs> just relax. Not that I relax well now, but just yeah just calm down and don't be so hard on yourself um yeah stress is not good so yeah chill out my mom got us got me this magnet it's uh it's from where the wild things are and it's a kid i can't remember and it just he's like doing this thing at the at the uh monsters and just says be still and that's like that's my motto but yeah so, yeah, calm down. Yeah, and I think to add to that, I would just say don't compare yourself to someone else, especially because you don't know really what their real full story is, number one. And mm. it's just like it's a, such a waste of energy <laughs> to, to be thinking about someone else when you can just, you know, make a decision for yourself about what you have going on. Yeah, you you know yourself you know yourself best, and you don't know anybody else's situation, their whole story. Yeah, that's a good point. That was my questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that I didn't bring up? I mean, I think we're pretty we're quite proud of the buildings that we've built here, even though certainly building them in an unconventional way uh, 
like the first year I think we had gotten the posts up on this and we just had a big pavilion here before we did any excavating. <laughs> so yeah. I wouldn't recommend that. But, um, you know, it's amazing what you, if, at least if you have one person who can offer some good guidance when you need it um, or a skill set, that you can really do a lot yourself. Um, it just, it definitely takes longer. But I'm, I feel like knowing every component in this building and, and our house as well, it's like, um, you know, I feel very capable when that, and that makes me feel good. Just like, you know, if some, we've, we've dealt with some well issues before and done all, you know, replacement work on, on various components and you know it all feels workable it's not like yeah it's it's astounding and and shocking when you don't have water for a day or something but when you know you can just like run to the town next over buy a new pressure tank and install it yourself that feels really great and it's not like you have to wait for a plumber to show up and and if it's a weekend you're in a lot of trouble as far as rates go um and yeah so that's been a huge component i think of the farm is that we've been able to do a lot ourselves and i think once in the big world of loans like we're pretty we're not that far in debt compared to some people which is great knowing that yeah um, I just want to say that I'm so grateful for all the people that have come and help, you know, been a part of this place and to, to get us where we are now and farm mentors and extension people and loan officers and just the whole gamut of all the people that have, have helped us um, here and been supportive. And, and of course our families who were, are incredibly supportive and we, you know, um, feel very fortunate to have the families that we do. And then, of course, to Steve Steinbacher, who <laughs> with this place wouldn't be anything like it is now without Steve. Steve's my father-in-law and uh, her dad, obviously. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, he's just been so incredible in the work that he's done and the hours that he's put into to help with building and yeah he's just he's incredible so and my parents are too and your mom (laughs) (laughs) yeah the family Uh, the family family. family. yeah Yeah. awesome well um thanks for sharing your story and um and all that you did uh it's great to get to know you and learn more about your farm if people want to reach out to you can they do that and how so yeah um Naked Acre Farm at gmail.com. Um, just my phone number's on the website too. Uh, Naked Acre Farm VT, I think. I, I can't remember what it is. <laughs> NakedAcreFarm.com. Yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah, that's all. Yeah. And Great. I'm HomefrontGardensVT.com. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you so much for having us. It really is just an honor with all the. Like I said, all the amazing folks that you've had on the podcast, I really appreciate being a part of that oh. um, crew of people. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you.
Before you click away, if you'd like to listen to the field tour, that part of this episode starts now. Uh, we go outside, we walk around the fields and the high tunnels, listen to the rain, talk about the crops, and how Ryan manages his farm. I guess we could start, this is our prop house. We could peek in here. This was outside because we had a, a well emergency, our well crapped out on us, so we didn't have water for a couple days. Oh, so we were pumping it out of that, but the prop house is the only house we have that um, has electricity so far. Yeah, so I do micros every week, and then, you know, obviously it's thinning out uh, this time of year because everything's getting out in the field. <laughs> it's also storage. I know. <laughs> the couch <laughs> right there. Yeah, we don't have a lot tiny, of storage in this place. House. Yeah. yeah. So. And yeah, I've got some of my edible flowers in here. Uh -huh. So I grow some of the kind of less hardy, anything that's less hardy, I just keep in pots and they're kind of mother plants. I'll take cuttings and just keep them fresh from year to year. How do you like your hose trolley? Um, it's a work in progress. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's better than it was last year. So every year yeah. <laughs> it improves. I make some, uh, I make some improvements on it. Price uh, looks favorable. The what? The price. Yeah. Yes. Looks favorable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I saw that online somewhere and it works pretty well. It's just the, this, this hose is really nice hose, but it's very rigid. And so uh -huh. it, the, uh, pulleys it twists them all around so i don't have it oriented correctly yet i mean it works fine i can pull down but if i'm like coming back on that side it's kind of a pain in the ass yeah but yeah so this is it prop house spend a lot of time i have a vacuum seeder that i use and absolutely love one of the best investments i've ever made um and i made a little insulated oh, yeah we should go yeah. back and look at that um so this is the trap door there's a box outside that i dump uh, my fort v into with the tractor bucket this closes for, you know, winter. Um, not insulated, but, you know, this house is not very efficient anyway. Um, and then the, uh, so I have a vacuum seeder that I use for paper pot, the paper pot right here, and then the regular 128s. That's pretty much all I use. And, you know, 50s are, I just hand sew those. And then this is just hooked up to a simple plug and it turns on and then I can just kill it with the switch. So. Do you have a shot back in the box? Yeah. Ah. Yep. It's just a little one. Yep. You can kind of. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's inside. It's just insulated. So it's not super loud. I mean, it was way louder. Even that. I mean, it's great. Like if I have music going, I could still hear stuff. But um, the only problem is that this year I had to rig this up. Um, because I found a mouse nest in there. Oh. <laughs> they crawled in and then, you know, we're in, I was like, I used it the first time this spring and I was like, this really smells. It's <laughs> like, what's going on in there? Like, sure enough. <laughs> but they were alive. They, they were, were alive. Oh, they were like yeah. getting <laughs> tortured with I know. a whole I couldn't round believe of seating. Yeah, because it was like on, wee, off, <laughs> yeah. and then wee, and they were just in there, probably like traumatized. But, yeah. It works. It's it worked for work. a couple of years. I think next year, once it's empty, I'm gonna I'm gonna redo it, and because uh, I just slapped it together. So, um, and then these are exhaust fans. I can close those up, and they're insulated. You know, one inch insulation that I can close for the winter. Uh -huh. So, anything to improve. You know, even just a teeny bit to 
not spend so much on propane. It's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we definitely cut our propane costs this year significantly compared to last year. Um, I had a bunch of little greenhouses in greenhouses with the fluorescent lights and stuff, and that was enough heat to like keep it you know really nice and warm. Just yeah. rigged up hoops basically over the benches, things like that. So that's all down here. And then these are great. Jenica found this. This is like the best backpack spray. I love it. Okay. My four yeah, size is so I've, good. I heard about it on a uh, the no-till flower farmer podcast, and it's. Um, it's super powerful and the battery is super rugged. Yeah, it lasts. <laughs> I left it outside over the winter, which is a bad yeah. decision, but it was, um, it's been fine. It's been great and it just recharges. Um, yeah, and there's tons of options with it. Very powerful. Yeah. I use it for client gardens and spraying apple trees, like 25 foot apple trees and everything, and you it works great. Stuff. Yeah. This is my little new little house here. Um, it doesn't look like too much right now, but I can show you inside. And then client plants. So I've got some plantings to do before I can't move anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it's good to clarify. Jenica has her own business. Yes. We could talk about that a little later, but she's yeah. not necessarily part of the farm. Right. Right. She's got home front gardens. I have naked acre farm. So yep. She's just stealing your Getting space. Huh? <laughs> well, we're going to talk always, about that. Actually, yeah. I'm gaining some space coming up. Right. I've always had kind of this field, except for maybe the first year, I think. Yeah. There were brassicas in this field um, the first year. And so it's kind of a good, actually, sample of how much perennial grass we have and how much we have to deal with yeah. when we're flipping new ground. Um, so. It's, I know it's just going to be a process of constant kind of trying to tending to it to try to kill the yeah. grass. Um, but uh, just a little sampling of the beginning of the flowers. I only have a, a handful of accounts at this point. So it's good size. It's, it's the perfect amount for me to keep busy on the farm. And so, yeah, right here, what you probably just said it and I didn't catch it. What are you doing in here? Because you've got like six plants. That's not right. It's lot. just edible flowers. Edible flowers. Okay. Yes. So so varnish. I yeah. and flavor. It is there yeah. are. I work with the chefs on okay. their flavor profiles, what they're using them for. And colors too. Yeah. Like certain colors and not and, other colors. Um, and they look pretty sparse because the idea is, while well, some of them are just starting to get going. Yeah. But others, it's like you got a deadhead in between each week, even after the harvest, to make sure that there's almost nothing left so that they're going to bud again right. for it's the next week. Right, and they, they bush up. Yep. Um, so I had originally thought that I would do cut flowers on the farm and then... Uh, I but and also do my gardening business and that just it didn't make sense because I couldn't get the quality of cut flowers that's needed. Yeah, we're just we were spread um, way too thin. That was for our first year. Yeah, and that was the first couple of years. But I did it a couple of years of you know doing some small events and um, yeah, and then there's some remnants of that in here. <laughs> 
I was supposed so to... when I said I'm going to gain some space, she's going to be moving the flower side of stuff out into that house, and I'll gain. She's had those beds since 2018. Yeah. And so um, I'll be gaining. This will be a fully naked acre house yeah. instead yes. of a split house coming up. So. And there's all these bulbs in these beds, so I'm having a digging party actually this weekend to try to get them out, get them in the field, and then um, we can tarp it. Yeah, yeah. 10 o'clock tomorrow if you want to come. So a mix of tulips, and which most of those are eaten actually by <laughs> voles, and, um, but a lot of narcissus. Mm -hmm. And then um, these are just self-sown biennials okay. and then a bunch of self-sown I haven't seeded uh, calendula in like three years and it I get plenty out of what I get here <laughs> so um, what was in the other house was all transplants seedlings from this house so yeah. a bit of mayhem that will soon be back in proper control <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is, uh, we call this the big house. It's obviously relative, but it's our biggest house. It's 120 by 30. It's a Ledgewood. Heirlooms and high looms in here. Um, desperately need a pruning. <laughs> You'll see a lot of the tomatoes uh, are, we're a little behind on pruning. Um, a former employee who became a friend is my pruner this year, uh, but he's had some family stuff in Belgium. He's from Belgium grew up in uh, Quebec and he's huh. he's been in Belgium for the past month and a half two months something like that because he's had some family stuff so uh, so we're you know pruning them when we can but there's you know obviously a lot to do this time of year and then the cukes funny story here these were I did the cukes in white plastic this year I kind of experimented with a little bit of white plastic in the field brassicas in here too and we spent some time laid it all by hand it was really nice and um, you know one of the people that was that's working for me we planted them all out and i was on my delivery route to csa and they called and they said uh like 20 of the plants are gone this was like an hour after we finished you know and um turns out you know then 10 more were gone 20 more were gone and they were just like getting just ravished by uh a vole and so we tried castor oil. Something you'd watch it happen. Yeah, it was. It was like Caddyshack kind of situation where it was just like they were just getting like sucked down under the plastic. <laughs> but they weren't eating them. They were just like chopping them down and just leaving them there, which yeah. was such a, so annoying. It's just like, just eat it. You know, if you're going <laughs> to yeah. take it, eat it. But they're gross. It's cucumber plants. They probably taste terrible. So um, we put down, I called Jenica and Jenica came out and put down castor oil. That did nothing. And so the only thing we could do, I just came down with scissors and just cut it. Yeah. And so, so no, no, white no well it's going to go back I'm going to fold it back over and staple it so the other thing was these beds were very minimally um, turned over I was kind of starting to sort of experiment with like some no-till low-till stuff and my expectation was that I could tarp it all and all the weeds and all the stuff that I cut I basically flail mowed it and then broad forked it and then tarped it and then you know put the plastic on so it, there's a lot of like organic material in the, in the in the top of the bed, which was going to break down for the plants. But mm -hmm. now it's exposed, so they're growing again. <laughs> the rodent pressure was 
due to the plastic, you think? Yes. Yeah. I So I'm doing a lot more plastic landscape fabric everywhere this year just to try and mitigate some weed control. I've committed to kind of plastic culture in some spots just to help with weed pressure this year because yeah. it's been out of control for a long time. Um, and it's it's going well, but I realize, you know, you start something else and there's another thing that you hadn't thought about. And for, for me here anyway, the rodent pressure has been out of control with the plastic. It's been crazy. So... Like eating things that they would, like pepper plants, cucumber plants, uh, more than half of the lacinato kale plants, but like super selective about things. It's just, so I, I can't figure it out. This year? Or is this it year. Always, okay. Yeah, because I haven't, this is, I've used more plastic this year than I ever have, um, like I said, to help with weeds, right. which has been great in that regard, but not so great in this other regard. You know, even just from, from day one, essentially, from the first plantings in the house, it's like broccolini plants were just like half just decimated you know so traps i found tra i get plat you know big old cardboard rolls like eight foot rolls and i cut them down in sections like this and just put two traps in that helps a lot i didn't catch anything in here but once i cut the plastic open they, they didn't come back mm. they were just gone Interesting. so so we replanted some and i had some left over so we will have a full bed but once the plants are bigger and trellised i'll put it back in and staple it up so yeah. how do you like your uh tomato trellising system it's good. It's better than it used to be. The roller hooks are pretty nice. I wish that we had put this house a little taller. I wish that we had brought it up a little higher. Um, the cross ties seem really low in this house. And I, mm. But um, so the plants, you know, they get they grow significantly higher than the top of the <laughs> top of the thing. So, uh, but I do I do like it. Do they have a ratcheting mechanism on them? I've seen them, but I haven't really. It's not ratchet. It's like. A, um, it's a like kind of a spool situation. So it's like basically a thing that stops it. So as as the thing comes down, that's what locks oh, it. it but then you just pull that up. It's and got it, like a cam. Yeah. So it's like that. And then you just, so then what I'll do is I'll just come through at the end of the year, like cut these all with like pull it up, cut them all with scissors, and then just like you know snap this and bring it out. And then next year they'll just be here ready for the next. The next, uh, the next spool, you crop. just grab it, pull it down. Yep. And um, you, don't, you don't need to like tie anything. It just you can just. Are you, you stapling it to the ground? No. No. Just, just hanging the plants. Yeah. Are you lowering and leaning with this? Um, I would like to. I just, I think with the cukes this year, um, if they stay healthy, I've had a lot of problems with cukes disease. They don't. Um, I don't prune them or anything like that. I probably should, but. Um, they, uh, I did last year lower and lean. There's a there's a cherry tomato variety that I grow, that's just like it's prolific. It's the plant gets huge. There's like just a ton of tomatoes. It's uh, Sakura, I think it's a it's a Johnny's. I get it at Johnny's, and um, those plants are just huge plants. And so I I lowered those last year. But yeah, so this is one house. Uh, your drip tape, I see. Yes. Hanging off the wall. Last year. Last year's trip date. Uh, so I reuse some of it and uh -huh. some of it I put in new. Yeah. So when you're cleaning out the house in the fall, you just take the tape and tie it up on each mm -hmm. end and yep. pull it ready for the next one. Tie it on this end, the, the top end, and then I just bring it and kind of tie it up and um, get it real tight. Yeah. And then it just stays there. And then as it gets warmer, it just like droops, 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 <laughs> droops, droops. <laughs> so you got to like redo it in the spring. But um, so those are just leftover. I just will yeah. 
you know, I put in new, you know, obviously for the Romas, I put in a new line and some of them you can see there are, they got couples, couplers on them. If they have couplers, I usually don't reuse them again, but just to get them up and out of the way, I put them on that side. It's double inflation, two inflators. So you're using two inflators because there's so many holes, you need that much volume? Holes and that one wasn't doing it the, on its own. Yeah. yeah, that first, that first year, uh, there was plastic on this house, 2018-19, that winter. We had so much snow uh, that it was just like sagging and, yeah. and we, were, we didn't have a uh, tractor mounted snowblower yet. So we were just doing everything on snowshoes and shovels. So it was, it was intense. <laughs> we were like standing up over the hip board, like digging down. Oh, it was terrible. Snowshoes and so we I remember did... between before VBBGA, remember that meeting? We woke up at like five in the morning to shovel the house out and trying to get down to the meeting. It's just ridiculous. Yep, bird netting. Gotta get that on as soon as possible. We have a significant problem with birds eating fruit in our You're gonna hang that over the doors? Uh the sides. Oh sides okay. and any opening basically. Our friends have like a screen, it's like a magnetic screen thing yep. for the door. I'm going to see if we, I can get one that's this big just for the, that's a good the idea. doors. Yeah, because I don't know what else, what else I could do. They're going to find a way in, but if I can just mitigate it a little bit. I mean, they come in and they just, they go to town, yeah. especially on the heirlooms. So it's like... And they really like the yellow tomatoes and, and the, like reds. the orange. And the purples. <laughs> <laughs> the greens. Anything fancy. <laughs> I think they just like tomatoes. <laughs> But yeah, they do the orange ones. They go for the first, like the stri the striped Germans. Oh my God! You have this like big. You'll have like this, or I'll have like a big, beautiful striped German that's almost ready, and then sure enough, just. <laughs> it's their storage area. Yeah. I lived in that camper the first two years. This is my brassica field for the most part. Um, in the process of kind of flipping this over to, I have some, basically some uh, three-foot ultraweb that I'm going to use for the pathways because you obviously, you know, pathways are in pretty rough shape. But, um, so I'll lay that down and then the idea is like with the plastic culture next year, this will be, I'll, I'll, there'll be, you know, the weed pressure will be significantly reduced. Yeah. So, uh, but I never really, you know, the pathways are always a mystery to me. Um, you know, keeping them clean, I think. Like how to, how to keep them clean? Yeah, just yeah. like the best way. Like, you know, we have a couple cultivating tractors, um, but I haven't had really great luck with that. With, you know, especially down in that area, it's tough. Like maybe like a belly mounted kind of thing, but the on the slope, it's tough. Like I one year would just go and like this one would be like, you know, not doing anything. And this <laughs> one would be like way too deep. And then I'd have to come back and do the same thing on the other side. So mm. it's just tough, like figuring it out. Um, so I think this year I'm just going to do ultra web. Yeah, I'm very new to uh, tractor cultivation. It's not a skill that I have. No, I mean, it's not like your typical, it's not like an ideal, not, a, that's not the word. It's not like your regular farm, like you would think of like a typical farm, but we, we love it here. I mean, I feel like super protected with the woods and there's tons like habitat for all sorts of different things. And um, I think pest pressure isn't, maybe as significant as other places because of that reason. And I would say part of it is like where we're located because of the, uh, I'd say 
tourist value of just being in between several mountain, like mountain towns. Um, yeah. The real estate is just like out of control as far as a practical minded, we want to farm. Um, and we both had existing businesses when we met and decided to, you know, uh, buy something. So yeah. it was like we were, we were in a spot where we would automatically be limited unless we wanted to add another hour commute or something onto. Yeah. I remember we looked in Stowe and there was, two, there was two five acre plots together that could have been 10 acres, it was flat, and it was $500,000 for 10 acres. <laughs> we were like, oh, with nothing, nothing on it. And we were like, okay. <laughs> and flooding potential. Yeah. 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 But, uh, so this is beets and lettuce. You can see, you know, we're still dealing with like a grass a little bit. Um, but this is, this is definitely an improvement from, from the past for sure. Um, so those are all paper potted. The beets, I do um, beets and paper pots. Actually, the gems are all paper potted. The head lettuce right here is all, that's all hand transplanted, but. Uh, how long have you been using the paper pot? Three years, maybe? Yeah. Liking it? Uh, I don't know. The jury's <laughs> still out, I think, on that. It's, yeah, it's got its, definitely got its, its benefits, but um, I, our, I think our soil is not very well suited to it because it's very uh, rich soil and there's a lot of stones in our soil, um, like stones of all sizes. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the soil is beautiful. It's, it's, it's great, but, you know, I mean, that thing will be, I mean, it's bouncing all over the place, you know. So keeping lines straight is very challenging. Burying the the uh, chains are, are very challenging. I have another tool that I come back and I have to every. It's just part of the protocol. It's like I pull it out and then I hit it with this tool. It kind of like it's kind of like a closer yep. on the thing, and so that's just part of it. But there's still it reduces the time dramatically, even still. But um, but there is I find especially with the with the lettuce that I do like the salad mix. The it takes a long time for it to get going growing as opposed to like this you know and and I think the other thing we've observed is just that um compared to if we were going to direct sow something like this um we have we still are competing with so much grass that uh it's almost impossible to direct sow something and get this nice thick cr crop happening same with like the beets we've it's yeah. been right. so, so much it better be stunted, but it's got a head start yeah yeah but i mean like the beets can be stunted the that this type of the gems can be stunted like frisee i do it in in uh paper pots like those things that's fine it's the lettuce like the salad mix i want to have that like obviously every week and when it, when that crop is is held up a little bit it's it's challenging the other things can wait like i mean no one's going to be like pounding the door down for beets you know what i mean <laughs> it's like where's my beets <laughs> But, um, but yeah, the salad mix, I mean, the, it used to take me, I can do like three times the amount of space in the same amount of time or a little bit less that it took me hand transplanting. So there's definitely a, a reduction. This looked so much cleaner yesterday. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit of rain. What yeah. the heck? And we get, um, we do have, uh, 
what erosion issues yeah. here for sure. Um, so like pile, <laughs> like this is part of that mitigation process. Oh, you can see it right there. Oh yeah, that's so really bad. This field all, all needs to be tarped. It should have been tarped like two weeks ago. Um, that was the plan. But you can see the erosion issues that we have. I mean, just on the slope, this kind of comes down this way and then pitches this way. So it's just like water. Um, and it, yeah, that's not great. When we get these downpours, does it wash out your plants bad? Uh, thankfully not too bad this year yet. I mean, obviously that would, was not great, but that's a result of like having the black plastic there with the squashes. But if we get like a significant, you know, downpour, which thankfully we have not like this, yeah, this would be washed out. Yeah. So, so next year I got to figure, I'm kind of slowly thinking about moving towards like sort of a low till, no till. I mean, I haven't used a tiller yet this year. I actually didn't use it all last year either. Whoa. Um, so moving that way but still i mean this is loose soil right so trying to think about like living pathways maybe or mulch straw mulch um or everything on landscape fabric i don't know yet exactly what it's going to be that'll be like winter pondering i think next year um and so doing some research pillar what prep are you doing ahead of paper potting that so i have paper pots kind of that's a interesting a lot of tarping to, to get rid of like any residue, stuff like that. But basically this field was, what did I do with this field? That field was, um, I used a disc, that, that, that field I used a disc this year, and then a bed shaper, because the weeds weren't too bad, like there wasn't okay. a lot of material in there. But I also have a uh, chisel plow that I use, and then come in with a bed shaper. And then if there's like a lot of residue or stuff that is gonna get in the way of the paper pot, I have a BCS and I have a PDR on it. So it's like, it's kind of like the, it's a depth. Have yeah. you seen them or yeah. heard of them? Yeah. So I'll do that at like an inch, you know, and just create like a fluffy little top. Um, and that helps just like tilter. working. Yeah. Like a tilter, yeah. essentially like a tilter kind right. of situation. The same thing as, as like a power harrow would do for the BCS. And so the BCS is 30 inches wide. These beds are 42, 44 ish. And so I have to do two quick passes, you know, and I just do a quick till and then that's enough. Or what I've been doing this year is, is kind of using the wheel hoe and then raking it out um, a little bit too. So getting the residue out then raking that stuff out, then using the paper pot. So it's a process I feel like, but I mean, we're, it's a market garden essentially, but like I tractor farm on a market garden sort of thing. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, but it works and I love using the tractor. So um, that's just kind of what we do. Now, don't take pictures of this. <laughs> or you can. As, like, this is my like ultimate nightmare. So this was planted in March. This was the, obviously the Pac-Man style and it has been amazing for... Uh, yields for sure this thing has been weeded probably three or four times and it is painstakingly slow and challenging you have to be basically like a gymnast to weed this this these beds because you got to like come in and find a path and then like tiptoe your way through and like so we have a significant chickweed problem <laughs> in these houses uh, it's not great so but this is already this is second cut coming down and um it's you know it's bolting and bitter so i didn't want to come in and beat it again so 
Definitely lots of lettuce came out of this little area. Um, more so than we can handle. Pac-Man, good or bad for you? I think it needs to be done differently. Uh, this is all paper pot, and so I think if you if I could take a house, part of a house, out of production for like a month or two months leading up to a fall planting or a spring planting, I think that would help, just tarp it. Um, but I think what I might move towards is landscape fabric um, and then just burning the holes and hand transplanting. I mean, it's super slow. I would imagine that's just going to be like a very, very slow process, but no weeds. And then you don't have that problem of worrying about planting dates because, you know, did I do the planting date well, or is it going to be set back because of the paper pot? Like not, it not like taking root right away. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's going to be what it is. But this year is going to be challenging because, um, we have something happening, <laughs> so I, I don't know, hope I can get it all in. So it might be another year of paper pot and and chickweed, uh, chickweed nightmares. And then these are the cherry tomatoes and peppers that were a little bit devastated by mice mm. and voles in the spring. Um, when you're, are you hand harvesting this or quick yeah. cut harvesting? No, not quick cut. I cut it all by knife. So you can avoid the weeds. Yeah. And yeah, I mean this. That out later. Yeah, this is this is um, bad, but I could still come in through, and it's it's super easy. Just you know, like it's surrounded, but you just write like this, and right, and there's no weeds. So, and we go through it up there in the wash pack. For for the most part, it it comes out pretty clean. But honestly, weeks before this, um, it has been. It's been really clean. I've had a great crew this year so far. Small, very small crew, but um, who's willing to spend some hours doing this? <laughs> so, um, but it's mostly chickweed with a little shepherd's purse, and it's just <laughs> the chickweed is just really, really bad here. So I'm looking into thinking about. I don't really want to steam, so I'm trying to figure out different ways of, of going about that. And I think what it is is just. It's just tarping and taking little areas out of production, which I was talking to uh, James at Trillium Hill, and he said that he found that tarping certain areas that were tarped had less issues with cutworm, winter cutworm, too. So that's kind of a, a dual um, benefit, I think, of tarping because we have some serious winter cutworm oh, issues yeah. too in the fall. Yeah, this was all planted in March, so it's 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 ready to be done. <laughs> It's getting pretty bitter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's great. And I mean, that little, you can see that little area. This is the second cut, so it wasn't as big down there as the first cut. That little tiny area that you're seeing by the bucket was probably 70 pounds or something like that. Whoa. So it's, I mean, it's a significant amount of yield coming out of very small space. Next year, the fall, when we get over there, there's a new house that I built last fall. That's gonna be entirely, the whole thing is gonna be lettuce. It's planned anyway. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> see what happens in August. <laughs> but um, and these obviously need a, a significant pruning too. And I just get behind on tomatoes. And then back back on that side of the house, it's a pretty wet area. It's getting better. We need to put in. I need to put in drains on the side because mm -hmm. um, I mean the way the slope works, everything comes off, and the rain off the houses doesn't help either. So. Our soil is so rich that the it'll stick to the bottom of the paper pot, and then the trench it just won't bury anything. So it'll just like 
dig out and just like lay the chain down. This is one of my first houses. Yeah. You can tell. <laughs> it's the janky house. It's the one the that was over there though. was even worse, Dan. It was pretty bad. <laughs> um, so when I first started, my dad, he's a, he's a land surveyor, and he was doing this job, and there was a, somebody had leased some land, a farm had leased some land, and they just disappeared. They were just gone. So they left everything. And the landowner was like, he had hired this company to come and just like get rid of everything. My dad called me and was like, hey, you want some greenhouses? And I was like, yeah, where are I? And so I went down and there was like a big party and he helped, you know, take it all apart. And um, I got four houses, like four janky houses like this for like 2300 bucks. So starting <laughs> out, it was great. We just had to put in the labor to get it out of there and stuff. Right. So either that or it was going in a dumpster. Like yeah. And they were shorter to They were shorter. With. So I put, I extended them up and. This is one of them. There were four total. There's only two left in existence. Two of them were over there in a pile. So I feel like this is a good view of the evolution of the farm. This is like first starting janky house. This is the last house that was built. <laughs> and it's got like, you know, drill roll up sides and double inflated. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm very happy with this house. Yep. This is a Ledgewood, kind of a Ledgewood Rimmall combo. Yeah. Like the, um, the hip boards are the metal rim all things that they sell. I grew such crappy celery last year that I was like, I just want to see if I can grow it. <laughs> and, and it's actually, it's, it's it pretty good. It tastes good. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty happy with it. Oh, I shouldn't crunch with the mic, huh? It's going to be like <laughs> super crunchy. <laughs> it's coming down. Andy, I'm going to close up some sides, all right? I'll be right back. best the rolls so much better than hand cranking oh yeah or like yeah i've had some i've almost got yeah just i've had some close calls with with roll up sides just the systems that we have here getting hit in the head and the hand and face yeah a friend of ours has honeybees here the last what two years yeah so it's been cool to see them going all around especially uh to different just native plants as well as in yeah. the houses um, so this is all my cut greens and salad production for um yeah like retail bags and restaurants and things like that so lettuce is kind of on the far side there's a really weedy bed of carrots right there and then um kind of week to week i just keep moving this way and so the tarps, so these are all tarped. The first beds over there were tarped all winter. And then this will essentially just go start on that side. We I started on that side the first time of the year and now I'm moving back this way. So um, yeah, it's just kind of a rotation with the tarps. It's been, it's been really good this year actually. But the tarps are kind of a bear to move, uh, especially the 50 footer. 50, yeah. 50 by 100 is really a pain, but especially with all this rain, <laughs> yeah. it just makes it really yeah, heavy. You can't roll puddles very easily. <laughs> no, no. So, but for this, if it's if it's, uh, we don't have super great irrigation. So if it's <clears throat> if we don't get rain, 
what I'll do with these tarps is kind of fold, I'll seed everything, water it in if I need to, and then fold it back over. And then like two days later, everything is germinated. Yeah. yeah. And the protect net for bugs. Yeah. Yeah, we struggled for a long time with um, just, I struggled with disease, lots of disease issues in the, in the uh, grass because under row cover, so it's just hot and moist. And we have a lot of rhizoctonia in the soil. Uh, anyway, that's present, and it just would present in the greens all the time, so it was hard to sell them. <laughs> so those beds that are open are ready to be mowed. I'll come in with the flail mower, flail mow them, put down any fertilizer, and then do like that light till on the top with the PDR. This is um, Koji from Johnny's, and it's great. Usually isn't as diseasy, but... And then there's arugula on the other side. Yeah. So it's a mix of kale. Tot soy, mizuna, red mizuna, and just kind of a mixed greens thing. Kale. Two more houses, and then head up. Okay. So this is a tomato house, it's called. And I am redoing the trellis system, so these are not fully trellised just yet, although they are, they did get a good pruning here. These are all hybrids. This is all um, the hybrids that I grow. So it's hybrids in here, heirlooms up there, cherries in there, and, and cherries in there. There's a lot of tomatoes. Yeah, I increased the spacing this year, or decreased the spacing, increased the amount to, these are all at 12 inches, just single liter 12 inches. Um, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Hopefully Augustine comes back soon. <laughs> just five varieties. Yeah. Yep. This is the south rim, this is a rim all. These, that's the north rim, south rim, both rim alls. Um, I had, this year again, the spring kale bolted on me. Like, last year, I thought I'd, I'm still trying to figure out why this is happening, but, so this, this house is in the process of being flipped um, from spring kale, which I was hoping would be productive longer, but um, can't seem to figure it out. But the Lacinato is doing fine. So it was all planted at the same time. And then Cukes and Frise over there. So that's it. And then we have some stuff across the road, but um, we kind of neglect that side of the road anyway. So <laughs> we'll just uh, we'll end it there. <laughs> These are just legumes, peas, and beans for CSA. Uh -huh. And that's it. I'm Andy Chamberlain, and that was The Farmer's Share. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Ryan and Jenica of Naked Acre Farm and Homefront Gardens. I'm excited to share that this show has been awarded a grant offered by the USDA Specialty Crop Block Program from the Vermont Agency of Agriculture, Food, and Markets. This funding will help cover some of my time and travel in order to produce more episodes of this podcast for the next two and a half years. So you'll be happy to know that I plan to keep producing this show for a while. The USDA Ag Marketing Service supports projects that address the needs of U.S. specialty crop growers and strengthens local and regional food systems. I have no doubt that this podcast will meet those needs and help educate growers to support the industry. The Farmer's Share is also supported by the Vermont Vegetable and Berry Growers Association and the Ag Engineering Program of the University of Vermont Extension. If you enjoy the show and want to help support its programming, you can make a one-time or a reoccurring donation on our website by visiting thefarmersshare.com support. 
You can visit thefarmershare.com to listen to previous interviews or see photos, videos, or links discussed from the conversation. If you don't want to miss the next episode, enter your email address on our website and you'll get a note in your inbox when the next one comes out. This show has a YouTube channel with videos from several of the farm visits. We're also on Instagram, so that's where you can be reminded about the latest episode or see photos from the visit. Lastly, if you're enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could write me a review. In Apple Podcast, click on the show, scroll down to the bottom, and there you can leave five stars and a comment to help encourage new listeners to tune in. I'd also encourage you to share this episode with any other grower friends or crew who you think would get inspiration from it. Thanks for listening.